What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that came out this week. Let's kick it off Woo-hoo. with a big one. Batman vs. Robin, number one from DC Comics, written by Mark Wade, art by Mahmoud Azrar. This is spinning directly out of Mark Wade's Batman, Superman, and pitting, as you can tell from the title, Batman versus Robin versus Damian Wayne. But the big event here, this is not a spoiler because they put it out in the press, is in some way, somehow, it seems like Batman's butler, Alfred Pennyworth. What's his name again? uh, Whoa, I am not demeaning him. They love that so much. they They changed the name of the TV show Pennyworth. To Pennyworth, the origin of Batman's butler. So that's how Alfred's alive, motherfucker. Stop being weird about it. Alfred is alive. Nobody knows how. Nobody cares. We're just so happy that he's back and alive. This is great fucking news. First off, Batman, Robin, these guys shouldn't be fighting. They're friends. Traditionally. (laughs) Um, Second off, his butler shows up at the door. Where are the cucumber sandwiches? He's awful slow on the cucumber. Oh, come on, man. (laughs) Putting him to work, he comes back alive, and you're like, uh, you're already upset there's no sandwiches? I mean, come on. It is. So, obviously, we're at, like, the very beginning of the story, and I trust Mark Wade as a storyteller implicitly. You should. He's a great writer. 100% earned that. But at the same time, reading this issue where Alfred returns, where it's great. They deal with it emotionally. They deal with it contextually in terms of the plot. The stuff with Batman fighting Robin is great. But the way that they imply that Alfred kind of returned as a side effect of whatever Damien is doing is very weird to me. And there's got to be some sort of twist there because the explain. idea that, like, careful. well, the universe wanted Batman's butler to return <laughs> is crazy. Yeah. I mean, it makes you feel bad for Batman. He's like, oh, universe, you brought back my butler? What about my parents? Remember them? Come on. I certainly like them, too. Come on, Uh, dude. So maybe the butler and then the parents, or the parents first and then the butler. Um, Oh, my God. Unbelievable. uh, That's the universe's choice. Let's get into the issue, though. This is a really great first issue. Uh, Really crazy, fucked up, very exciting. It's awesome to have a Zatanna Batman team up. Very excited for this amazing what, art. What sort of exciting. team up are you talking here? Because spoiler, <laughs> she's dead. hung with her sna- neck snapped, and she's only able to talk in the moments before she dies. Well, we still get uh, some Zatanna. You know what I mean? It's like, very light there, team I up. feel like there's going to be more. To be fair, uh, Justin, I don't know if you knew because you you were out of town. Pete and I actually went to a cemetery over the weekend, and he Uh looked out at all the graves, and he was like, classic team-up, me and that guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great – you go to a funeral, you're teaming up with a corpse. That's what it's all about. (laughs) Yeah, when I die, please don't call it a funeral. Call it a team-up. Yeah, I will. And it's going to be one of those classic team-ups where we get in a fight. And then eventually team up to save the day. So yeah, like, and it ends with us pissing on your grave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessary. Very few team ups end with that, I will say. Uh, but um, I love Mark Wade as a writer. Any comic he's bringing, uh, bringing to the people, I'm along for the ride. Um, I This comic goes hard. I love seeing Tim Hunter in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Did not expect uh, that. Books of Magic. Uh, shout out to that. I guess it's part of the full-on DC universe, which I had forgotten. And then he's got his screwdriver wand, which was what was happening in the most recent arc. There you go. Good, fun stuff. Next up, Midnight Suns, number one from Marvel, written by Ethan Sachs, art by Luigi Zaharia. This is teaming up a bunch of magic characters in the Marvel universe with Wolverine as they deal with a threat <laughs> That has come directly from Strange Academy. Pete, how'd you feel about this? Some of your favorite characters in here. I mean, this is, yeah, this is very exciting. It's just a whole bunch of my favorite characters all in one issue. I mean, you got uh, Doom in here. You got uh, Ghost Rider. You've got Wolverine. I'm So uh, sorry, I'm, just to I'm check, lo- Wolverine is number three on your list of characters here? Behind no, you've got Blade. You okay. know, like number there's four. just a lot of 
great. I'm not ranking these asshole. I'm paging through the comic and just uh, naming uh, the ones that uh, I got see page here. One. So you got page two. You got page <laughs> oh three. My God, <laughs> classic. <laughs> You're such a fucking asshole, man. Um. I uh, I like all these characters. It's sort of a throwback to have a Wolverine just hanging. Who even Wolverine's Wait, like? What Wolverine's am I doing? Wolverine's the one where you're like, oh, this doesn't belong on this. Are you fucking Wait, serious? No, right he now? says it to Justin's point. Yeah, he he's like, it. why Wolverine's am I here? Like, I didn't. Well, I didn't have any of the visions that you guys had. Yeah, you need Wolverine's Wolverine. like that's why he's here. I mean, I guess we'll see. I mean, other characters have knives they can cut stuff with. Um, oh my god, that's but not I all do. I do like this team fucking up. asshole. Yeah, he brings just sort of a surly attitude and some light cigar scent. Uh, oh but let me uh, also yeah, say anything you relate to there, Pete. <laughs> uh, it's very funny, interesting how Strange Academy has become such a jumping off point for so many books. And like uh, it's really put, ha- carving out a place in the Marvel Universe. Um, and I think that's cool. I like sort of this mystery. I like the way that it was a vision that everybody had. Um Curious how old Doc Doom uh, hangs with this. You don't see Doc Doom yeah. and Wolverine being like, oh, here we go again. Dragon buddies. You think? Does Dr. Doom drink? Like, does he take off his mask to drink? Or does he have, like, a soda and it just sort of spills down his mask a little bit and gets stuck in his chin? No, no. He's got a, no. Little, he's got a little kind of filter on there so he can just dump the booze right in. Yeah, he funnels. He's a funnel. Yeah, I played beer pong against Dr. Doom. He's pretty good, but the metal's loud, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 10,000 Black Feathers, number one from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Andrea Sorrentino, as well as reteaming this classic team of writer and artist. It's also the kickoff of their Bone Orchard mythos which seems yes. like a big deal that they're leading into. So what did you guys think about this new horror-inflected comic book? I'm curious. I don't well, get it's... a lot of the bone orchard. Like, it is fall. Mm-hmm. Great time to go to an apple orchard. I didn't understand um, if this was like a bone tree where you pluck a bone down and make mm-hmm. some sort of... Um, uh, bone cider? Bone pudding. barong? Yeah. yeah, a bone pie. Uh, love of Thanksgiving. Love. Here's my problem. I, you guys have been to the Bone Orchard. My problem with going to the Bone Orchard is it always sounds like a nice idea, and then you have this huge sack of bones that's just like sitting in your house, staring. They just like, sit in the back of the fridge, and then you what, have to You're not using bones the bones once you get them from the orchard. What kind of? Well, you use them. Why go like, to the orchard if so you're not going to use them? You paid so much money to get into the Bone Orchard, and you're like, oh, this is fun. You're picking the bones off of the bone yeah. tree. You're taking bites out of them. But then you have like sacks and sacks of bones, and it's just it's so you're too much bone bad. rich. What's the problem? I don't bone understand. rich. P uh, loves going I, to the bone orchard and watering the bone trees with his pee, which is a graveyard. What <laughs> the fuck? All right, let's talk about the comic here. This is creepy as fuck. I mean, anytime you got children walking in here. into a cemetery, and be like, so could I pick everything? Like it's one price to just take whatever I want, right? <laughs> I just grab a bag and just take whatever I want. Yeah, I have so to if we could talk about out. if we could talk about the comic again, uh, no I, I, I think it's just uh, it starts off super creepy. You got kids in there and they're creepy as fuck. So I had I had some real problems uh, continuing to read this because it was so creepy. Uh, but I, I managed to go through. Um, it gets less creepy as it goes on, but then more creepy is the twist at the end. But man, uh, very interesting. Uh, I think it's a solid first issue. Really awesome art choices they make in here, kind of really setting up like a tone and atmosphere type of feel. So, uh, yeah, I think it's very interesting. I'm really excited for the Lemire uh, Sorrentino universe that it feels like we're getting into. Uh, it has a nice sort of dark undertone. We don't learn too much about what's actually happening here, except the story's jumping back and forth between um, uh, these two kids who meet and become friends. And then later, one of them it comes back to the hometown and something horrible seems to have happened. Um, so it's good setup for the mystery. Beautiful art by Andrea Sorrentino. Looking forward to more. As long as they establish an issue to how you can carry all those sacks of bones back on the Metro North, that's the main thing I want to know. But fingers Metro crossed they North. get to that. Yeah, Metro North. Yeah. It's a great place. A lot, you'll see a ton of people with big old pecks of bones. <laughs> Pick a peck of bones. Vampirella Mime Warp, number one, from Dynamite, written by Jeff Parker, art by Benjamin Dewey. In this issue, Vampirella is going on one of them classic Vampirella adventures before she gets sucked 
spoiler, back to the 1960s, hence the mind warp of the title. What do you guys think about this? Uh, it's, you know, it's fun setup. I, I like the way it kind of started and she is more clothed and, uh, it being a little bit more appropriate. Uh, and then, uh, kind of fun, uh, cast of characters that we kind of, uh, get along the way and then kind of build up to the big kind of time, uh, time jump at the end there. So interesting story kind of fun that it's not uh, TNA-based, it's story-based, and um, yeah, interesting. Uh, I like Jeff Parker as a writer. I feel like we haven't heard too much from him in a while, and um, this has a, a nice sort of take on the classic, like, underling uh, trying to capture the hero situation, and I, I really like the way their, their sort of relationship, Vampirella and uh, Ren, I think is his name, mm-hmm. Um, the way they sort of move through the story and the the reveal at the end. Um, not what I expected, and I was pleasantly surprised by this. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Jeff Barker is always reliable as a writer, and I enjoyed this. I, I got to say, I don't know why it was specifically this issue that made me think of this, but I feel like the TNA covers are a legitimate detriment to Dynamite as a publisher because they have good books that they publish. But every single time we talk about something, we're like, wow, that was better than the cover. You know, like, and and, and I wish they would just take that out of the conversation. And even beyond that, it feels like the books have gotten better recently, but the covers are just variations on the same thing that they've done for so long. So um, uh, agreed there. Yeah. Next up, The Flash, The Fastest Man Alive, number one from DC Comics, written by Kenny Porter, art by Ricardo Lopez Ortiz. This is a fascinating comics, I think, to talk about because it is a three-issue lead-up to The Flash movie starring Ezra Miller, which so far is maybe never coming out. It was obviously timed for when the book was supposed to come out, but as is... Right now, it's supposed to come out at some point next year. I guess that's TBD with everything that's happening in the background, both with Warner Brothers Discovery as well as Ezra Miller. But that all said, it's still a comic book that does exist. So what's your take on it? Well, well I just did, to, to respond to that, I, like, why yeah. did they choose to release this right now? It feels very strange. Because they made it. Yeah, they had already made it. They had already solicited it, I guess. And this way, at least, like, you have three issues coming out over three months. Then it's going to be collected at a trade at some point after that. And ostensibly, if we imagine a world where the Flash movie is coming out in 2023, then you have this prologue collection exists on the shelf that they could sell before the movie comes out. But... Sure. At, the, at the same time, that makes sense. That all makes sense. Not not complicated at all. Yeah, I I just think that like I liked the art style of this book. I think they did like a different choice in the art, which I thought was really cool. It's kind of a a, a different take on the DC style that we see. So I enjoyed that. And it was nice to have kind of a Batman team up and some touching dad stuff in here. You know, to kind of pull it away from the Azure Miller bullshit for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought the, the story itself, like I, Gerder was a cool, like visual villain here and the sort of educational bit that the flash goes through with Batman. I don't know what this speaks to in the movie, if we're going to get this scene or something similar, but um, I, I liked this, the way it played out. It, it feels weird that this is just existing in its own movie continuity that we may never see. Um, but as a standalone story, I thought it was uh, an interesting flash tale. Yeah, I think Kenny Porter as a writer did a really good job here, though the Batman that we see here, which is supposed to be Batfleck, is nothing like anything that we've seen on screen. He's much kinder. He's much more considerate and thoughtful. He's not the guy who's just growling and shooting things up. Not so, holding Dunkin' Donuts coffee in any scene. Yeah, exactly. Not marrying Jennifer Lopez, a very specific thing that Ben Affleck did as a human being. Yeah. Uh, but as a comic boat. book and as a fan of the flash, I think this worked totally divorced from everything else. So 
There you go. If it worked as a one-shot comic book, who cares about anything else? You know what I'm talking about. Daredevil number three from Marvel, <laughs> written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Rafael De La Torre. In this issue, Daredevil is reeling from the revelation that maybe his entire life is, you know, just kind of a lie, like just a, like a little bit of a lie. And, of course, he goes pretty hard on trying to recruit people in his fight to join the fist. He finds out some revelations here that tie over into what is going on in the Punisher, and he tangles with Luke Cage a bit, and there's some big moves in terms of the world of crime in New York City. I love this. I think Chip Zdarsky is just like knocking it out of the park every single issue, but what did you guys think? I agree. I think this is really cool. Uh, I like the Luke Cage uh, kind of mayor stuff, which is great. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that this is – I like what Daredevil is doing and the moves that he's making. Um, so I'm interested to see how this all pans out. But really amazing art and panels and some, uh, yeah, interesting reveals. Very excited to see where this goes. This is a really cool book. Yeah, the way that Chip Zdarsky's putting Daredevil through uh, his paces is is really cool and really different from what we've seen before. Uh, it's the connection to the Punisher side of it. I'm very really curious how that's going to play out because it feels like two separate ideas, and I don't exactly know how they fight each other. How, how do they? Who wins there? I, I don't think anybody necessarily, you know, we talked about this. We I think do. we talked about this on a podcast where you were not here. I think Pete and I talked about it, but what? it feels you guys um, still do it. <laughs> we do another podcast. That's, it's a totally different podcast. We oh, mostly geez. talk about uh, our experiences at the cemetery together to be perfectly yeah, honest. Or, or about how we're going to buy up Funko Pop. You know, and become a partial owner. Stop crossing the streams. That's a different podcast where we talked about that, Pete. But I think we are heading towards something here. Like, uh, there's already some initial teases in terms of what's going on with the fist and the hand. You have Daredevil leading the fist with Elektra. You have Punisher leading the hand. I feel like we're heading towards some sort of event type thing where you have all of these heroes leading these villain organizations, how does that come together? How do they clash? We're already getting a hint of that, but I feel like it's only the beginning, potentially of something bigger that maybe hasn't been announced yet, if I'm reading the tea leaves right. Yeah, no, that's probably true. It's just uh, the way that, and I've been enjoying the the Punisher book too, and the Punisher feels like he doesn't really want to be in the hand, but he has to, so... And there is a connection there between, like, um, he will have to sacrifice his love, something that Daredevil does, like, every weekend, basically, in his (laughs) comics. So um, maybe there's a strong point there. The Least We Can Do, number one from Image Comics, written by Elsa Rimboli, art by Iolando Zanfardino. This is a new magical book showing a very different sort of world with a very unique art style. What did you dudes think about this? (laughs) 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 Did uh, Pip have something to say or um, Pete, why don't you talk about this book? Okay. So I, yeah, some really cool art style choices happening here. Um, I, I really appreciated some of the kind of adorable choices that I felt like fit with what's happening. We see like the notebook sketches and stuff like that. Um, but I love the action. Interesting kind of setup for this world. I, I thought the art style was great. The panel layouts are really cool. Um, I'm interested to see kind of like it kind of starts off with this character that's kind of got like a little red riding hood look a little bit. So to kind of see what it all means and kind of fits together. But I think as a first issue, does a great job of setting up this world. Um, yeah, I like this too. It, it uh, does a good job of just immersing us in the world without um, having to introduce it in sort of a painstaking way. A lot of show versus tell here. Yeah, yeah. And I'm curious, the sort of the way the magic works is um, after uh, an apocalypse or the world sort of falls, um, different objects are imbued or seem to be like conductive of an, a person's power or life force or something. And uh, that's, I, I like that as sort of a premise or a guiding power set principle. So I'm curious to see how we explored that. 
Next up, Masquerade, number one, spelled with a Masquerade. K. Just to be, oh my God. From Dark Horse Comics, written by Kevin Smith and Andy McElfresh, art by John Sprengelmeyer, and letters by the Phantom of the Opera. Right, Pete? Nah. Yeah, nice. the gloriously what? restored Pantages Theater. So, wow. a lot by of Phantom stuff. By phone. A lot of stuff. <laughs> what year is it? What year is it in this book? In Where this comic we? book, what year is it? Oh, great question. I don't know. There's a lot uh, of stuff going this comic, on here. Yeah, you go. No, no, no. Go ahead, Justin. You clearly got a I was going to say, this comic it feels like it's written in um, like the 90s from a very like, bros, uh, we're going to make some comics. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's like, doesn't uh, treat people in the right way i think in this comic there's some interesting things with sort of the uh the hero or like like main character i guess hero is not the right word that i'm curious to see where they would go i i like sort of the visual nature but there's just so much like not good uh sex stuff and exploitation here that i was like there was sort of a turnoff for me Pete, what yeah, about I hear you? this kind of like a Jen- Jennifer Aniston ripoff moment here. It's kind of like a face-off situation. Jennifer Aniston, it, you you got to specify what you're referring to here. Oh, because of the the, the, the first hair. character that the go, uh, yeah, uh, it kind of looks exactly like Jennifer Aniston in the beginning there. All right, um, yeah. So um, and uh, then we kind of have this face-off situation where different people are wearing different faces and taking on different uh, people's roles. So it's kind of like a face-off, but with robots a little bit. So I, I don't know what's happening, um, but, uh, you know, I would like to be able to trust Kevin Smith as a writer and what's going on. And instead of the Detroit fist, you got the foot. So, you know, <laughs> you see what they did there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm interested to see what else happens. So the plot of the book, as far as I can set it out, is there is a social media influencer who, as it's revealed at the end, and there's a spoiler here, was clearly abused by a bunch of men. Her face kind of cut up and slashed, potentially by one guy, potentially by multiple guys. She has gained some sort of technology that lets her impersonate people. Uh, hence masquerade of the title and is capturing them, putting in cages and is going to punish them. Meanwhile, there is a guy who gets fired from his company for some sexual misconduct and is potentially going to be hired by her or maybe by somebody else. Uh, my problem with the book, even though I do think John Sprengelmeyer's art is very good and very clean throughout, the action is super clear. There's a big action sequence that happens in the middle here with the main character that I thought was pretty well executed across, is like we're saying, first of all, there's too many things going on in the issue to hold on to any particular character as well as the plot, but also, like Justin was getting at, it's very... Uh, retrograde in terms of its feminism, I would say. Yeah. It, it feels like a sort of thing like, we are making a feminist statement. Also, we are men, by the way. I don't know if we mentioned that. And granted, yeah. we're all three men here on the podcast, but reading this book definitely feels like that. Uh, I'm willing to give them the second issue here to see where it goes. To Pete's point, I think Kevin Smith has written some good comics in the past, but... This is not selling me enough on the concept of the first issue, I would say. Yeah, agreed. Why don't we move on to another one that we've been very split on, Judgment Day number 4 from Marvel, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Valerio Shidi. The, I keep wanting to say Eternal Celestial is that was reactivated by the Avengers and some of the Eternals is continuing to judge the entirety of the human race, the entirety of earth and trying to find out whether they're worth it or not. At the meantime, Druig is continuing to attack the X-Men. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm still not 100% sold on this crossover, but I think this was my favorite issue by far. And part of that is the focus on the judgment, but also the fact that it actually got somewhere in terms of this yeah. overall conflict and the title of the crossover Things. 
it sounds like you guys felt the same. Go ahead, Pete. What did you think? Yeah, yeah. Things finally happened. We're finally getting some stuff that, like, it's kind of like, okay. But, I mean, how this comic starts is there's so many word balloons. There's so much dialogue that kind of gets in the way of the art. It's really, it's it's kind of messy a little bit, and it's it's hard to get into. At least that's how I was feeling about it. But then kind of once you get into it, uh, we do get somewhere, so it kind of becomes worth it. Uh, but I feel like now this is finally starting this event, so I'm ex- ex- hoping for some cool stuff moving forward. But uh, overall, the art is uh, really cool. Yeah, uh, true. Yeah. Uh, a little, a little cool. bit of an up at the end of the sentence. Uh, cool. I thought you were starting a song of some sort. <laughs> yeah, really yeah. cool. <laughs> Um, like I agree the art is very cool and this issue was my favorite of the four because it does just it's like here's some judgment which is half of the title um, but it, it's just so dense it's like I feel like Kieran Gillen a lot of his stuff lately has been just like incredibly dense when I, I just want to like set down the plot for a second and just take a look around at the, at the world and to really show us that Um so you you really have to buckle up for that when you're getting into a book yeah. like this. Um, it, it, it's but great art. I don't know if this was how it was meant, though I kind of suspect maybe it was. But this is the most I have felt like this is an issue to launch a bunch of one shots and mini series and tie into them that I've read at an event in a very long time. And even when we've been critical, and that is of, what's happening. I think, yes, exactly. So. That is a little frustrating because it feels like it's very like, read Judgment Day X-Men to find out more about this paddle that's happening over here. Versus the pure idea of the crossover is really interesting in and of itself. The idea of like the Eternals and Avengers accidentally activating a celestial who judges the human race. And this is a spoiler for the end, but ultimately the celestial is like, Nope, not worth it. And decides to destroy the earth. That should have been issue one in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And that would track more with like a crossover, like the infinity gauntlet, something Mm -hmm. I think we go back to as um, executing at a super successful level, bringing a ton of characters together to do one thing and deal with one situation. And then this is just a little chaotic because of so much uh, of what's going on. And I do think, not to spend too much time on that, but I do think part of that is Valerio Shidi's art, who I like Valerio Shidi as an artist, but the action sequences aren't necessarily tying with each other. The panels aren't necessarily tying with each other. It's a very, one of you, I'm sorry, use the word chaotic, but it's a very chaotic reading experience. And part of that is the panel layout, which it's frustrating because I like both of these creators. I feel like there is more to get out of this, but it's not quite getting to it at the moment. And we got yeah, one issue hard. to go. It's hard to keep us. Straight. I think there are two I mean, more. Who says what? Are there two you know more? What I mean, there's an Omega. I don't know if, at this point if we count the Omega or not. No, there's a there's a five and a six, and in the middle there's like fifteen, ten to fifteen other books, and oh. then the Omega. Cool. I'm very wow. tired. Let's move on and talk about Wonder Woman number 791 from DC Comics, written by Becky Clute and Michael W. Conrad and Jordi Belair, art by Marguerite Sauvage and Paulina Ganesha. We're kicking off a new arc here as Wonder Woman heads to the jungle to investigate somebody who is experimenting on animals. You can figure out what that's going because the cover spoils the end of the book in classic comic book fashion. Real bummer there. But as usual, this team is turning in such a solid comic book. And Marguerite Savage, who is like iconic at this point, adds such a nice flavor to what they're doing. Uh, Yeah, this is breathtaking art. I mean, the tripped out skeleton flower was just unbelievable amazing panels like i'm not gonna be surprised if we see at comic conventions people like tattooing some of this stuff because it is just that stunning and that absolutely just uh (laughs) no i'm just saying it's just so good that people are gonna want to hang on to it and want to kind of have it for their own because it's so good when are Um, we gonna get a cbc tweet uh tattoo 
Yeah, when when are CBC we tweet do that? we get those all the time. We get yeah. a lot of those. CBC yeah. chat. <laughs> I think this is like really fun last page reveal, even if it was spoiled, like kind of built up to it nice. Uh love the moment with her mom. This was just uh this is some great Wonder Woman comic that we're getting right here. So I I'm having a good time. What I love about this run is it's not event based uh, for the character. Like, um, it, it really is just like a run, just like let's tell these stories. And I, I, I feel like, um, when uh, Becky and Michael like get together and and it, even for the the backup story, the Jordi Belair, like it really feels like they're like just like, hey, what do we want? What, what do we want to do next? Oh, let's do this thing. We'll get a cheetah in this. We'll get like it. It feels really collaborative and organic in a way that a lot of um, comic runs just don't anymore. Love Everlasting, number two from Image Comics, written by Tom King, art by Elsa Charterrier. This is continuing the journey of our character who is probably trapped in a romance comic book, though it's not entirely clear yet. Unlike the first issue that focused on three different stories here, we're really focusing in on one that is very, like, Jane Austen-style romance that she is trapped in. Things are breaking through. They're developing in certain ways. I love this book. Love Elsa's art. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. I mentioned this with the first issue. It's very reminiscent, though not derivative, of Darwin Cook. Um, yes. Great book. What do great you guys call. think? Yeah, I, I love this book, I, too. It feels like it is it is treating the romance genre as sort of the the medium and then invading it with um some other genres we have some western elements here some horror elements and i i think that's really cool we've all been in a romance where at the end of the day it's really just a gunfight um so i think it's really great to really feel seen here wow yeah, I mean, I think the art is the real king here, and uh, I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong, Tom is writing the heck oh, out of this. Are you talking about the queen passing, like the real king? Oh, oh, oh no, no, I'm QE2, not. I'm not you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not getting into that. But I just. I was By the way, we should mention do... just for clarity, we are royalists on the podcast. Go ahead, one hundred percent. We, I we will be in what? London next week for the Queen's funeral, so I'll be sure to lay down some uh, lilies or whatever. <laughs> Oh, okay. Wow. Yes. I will be sure to lay down. (laughs) Uh, But I agree with you guys. She's going to the bone orchard and I'm I'm picking. (laughs) Wow. The queen's bone orchard. She would have loved that. This is some beautiful art. It's um, interesting kind of mashup of storytelling here. It almost kind of had like a Cinderella kind of feel to it a little bit in this. Uh, but I'll I'll be interested to see how this all comes together. But intriguing first couple of issues. But uh, again, the the art's the real winner here. Predator number two from Marvel, written by Ed Bryson, art by Kev Walker. Kev Walker, excuse me. In this series, the Predator has become the predated. Wow. No, <laughs> I don't know. If that's the wow. that's probably not happened. correct. Whatever it is, there is somebody predated. who is hunting the Predator throughout the universe because the Predator killed their parents. And in this issue, she gets closer than ever to it. I I freaking love this story. I'm not like freaking love it. I freaking love it, man. I am not the biggest fan of Predator. Alien is much more my thing. If we're gonna break it down oh, by that, okay, but douche. All right. This is this is Did so you watch Prey? good. I love Prey. I thought Prey was Prey. awesome, but this comic is so good. I love this story. Kev Walker's art is amazing, which is probably part of the reason that I'm loving this so much. But it's great. Are you guys on the same page or are you like, yeah, I agree with you. Are you on the hunt for page? I, uh, I agree with you. Uh, I freaking love this art, Mr. Bigglesworth. It is just, uh, really, it's a fun, they're taking something that is, could be like, all right, another predator story, but it's really, uh, intriguing and, uh, pulls you in, in all the right ways. And I'm really impressed with not only the action where that we're getting, but the story. Uh, so it's impressive what they're doing with this comic. And I've been enjoying the heck out of it. To me, it shares a lot of DNA with the, the alien comics we've seen, um, that yeah. Marvel's doing as well as just the alien movies in, ge- in general, like, uh, we have sort of a, a Ripley type character who is alone, um, trying to get to the bottom of a mystery and get some, 
some justice dealt out. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's really good. Nothing like Dale and Justice. The Jurassic League, number five from DC Comics, written by Daniel Warren Johnson and Juan Gideon, art by Juan Gideon. This issue, our dinosaurs are fighting against the dark side dinosaur. Our Pete, dinosaurs. Our dinosaurs. Beat no, taken away. Home team dinosaurs. All right, yeah, this is just so much freaking fun, all right? Uh, I I loved it. The kind of Superman dinosaur also, like, flexing as he stomps, uh, just... Uh, so I, I just I I was a little upset that you know they like they had to kind of like take a moment for themselves, but it's important to work on yourself. You know what I mean? Like you have to the get dinos. yeah the dinos even dinos to do a little self work to get to the place where they can help out their friends. Yeah. So this there is were a lot fun. of dinosaurs that were fossilized on a therapy couch. Oh man, so close. You know what I mean? They were just so close to really close to a breakthrough. Sorry, form, this is a little know? bit of a side note, but if you guys seen on HBO in treatment Asaurus? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's a lot of growl like sort of loud noises, right. a lot of roars. Jurassic World in treatment genius. <laughs> Put it together. <laughs> I'll 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 grant you that one. Wow. Everyone, wow! Everyone thinks I'm a clever girl, but I just struggle to be clever in the situations. You know, mm-hmm. Pete. Anything else you wanted to say? No, I was going to say things, but you know, <laughs> I guess we covered the same things that you're going to say. You're going to say the same things that we said. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same things that you said. Um, this book is like shaking up a toy box, um, and and in uh, all the right ways. Don't say it like it's a bad thing. Fucking no, it, it's it's fine. But if we're talking about uh, two Daniel Warren Johnson books on this comic book podcast, I'm ready to talk about the second one. Well, all right, t- take it easy because like this is show take it you easy. know you don't have to you know just because it's the toy box doesn't mean it's not fun and enjoyable. You know what I mean? I'm like, not saying it's not fun and enjoyable. All right, um, well, but you know. it's uh, it's dinos bumping into each other. Yeah, but it's also a little deeper than that because these dinos are going through some growth and trying to figure out who they are inside, okay? So don't fucking just make it a toy box. You know what I'll say? It extinks. <laughs> no, I actually wow, don't. That's not good. The critics over here. It doesn't stink. <laughs> that might be a joke from the television program. <laughs> it's, it's from the critic. I'm sorry. Above Snakes, number three from Image Comics. I want to be clear. I like Jurassic League. Above Snakes, number three from (laughs) Image Comics, written by Sean Lewis, art by Hayden Sherman. This continues this weird, wild Western that is happening where... Love Sean Lewis, but I think the real standout here is Hayden Sherman. The way that he's drawing these characters, the way that he's drawing the Old West is so interesting and so sparse. Um, I love looking at every panel in this book. Pete, I know you're a big fan. What do you think about this? Yeah, this is weird and creepy in a lot of different interesting ways. Uh, I think one of the greatest things about this book is how it's kind of unveiling what it's about it's taking its time and it's confident it's it's not kind of like explaining itself it's having enough confidence to just kind of like sit with the characters as the characters are kind of wandering through this crazy forest so i'm i'm really impressed with uh kind of what we're getting and how we're getting it here this is this is some weird stuff but i'm really enjoying it i think it's super creative this book reminds me of um, Bone a little bit um, no. with our sort of bird characters um, mashed up with just sort of a pretty gritty Western that takes some risks. And um, and that's cool. I've never seen something quite like this, uh, the, the cartoonishness mixed with the grit. Um, so it is a one-of-a-kind book, and I like it. Cool. The Amazing Spider-Man number nine from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, Ooh. art by Patrick Gleason. Ooh. This issue is not only Spider-Man dealing with Mary Jane, one of Pete's absolute favorite things, but it's also set during the Hellfire Gala, which is when, oh my gosh, I'm blanking it, Moira McTaggart (laughs) took over Mary Jane's body, so we're dealing with the fallout from that. It's a couple of months later, which is a little bit of a bummer, I gotta say. It's also coming in the middle of a run on Amazing Spider-Man that I've really dug quite a bit. So taking this 
Seeming side trip over to X-Men Lab was also a little bit of a bummer for me, but at the same time, Zeb Wells, good writer. Patrick Gleason, great artist. So I wasn't too mad at the book, uh, but I'm excited to get back to the main narrative next issue, personally. Yeah, Um, I just think... It, oh, yeah. it's, it's rubbing salt on a fucking open, festering wound to just kind of like uh, fuck with our emotions here with the MJ Peter Parker stuff. So I didn't appreciate it, the kick in the nuts that we got in this uh, issue. Um, but I guess some people can I, are can I just say enjoy. something, Pete? If you yes. have a festering wound that has been open for the past 10 years or more, yeah, you're in the bone archer, man. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, yeah, you maybe I am. Treated. Yeah, uh, or you're just well, going to be bones. Sort of a marble's bone not treating it. it. You know what I mean? So why should I? If they're going to leave this fucking opening corpse just lying here festering. Uh, you know, why should I treat it if they're fucking treating me like Let me shit? Add, just real quick, just to define that. Are you saying this open corpse is you, <laughs> Spider-Man, or the Spider-Man-Mary Jane relationship? Obviously, it's the Spider-Man-Mary Jane relationship. Is it a literal open corpse? Yeah. No. And what do you mean by the open spider- corpse? Is that like an open house where it's like anyone can take a tour? <laughs> yeah, everyone can come and, and spit on something that they uh, really want to have an open ventricle that gets a lot of sun. You got to check it out. <laughs> You're going to love it. Um, I like. I understand, Pete, uh, that this relationship frustrates you, and we're in a run on this book where w- something bad happened between them, and we don't know what it is. Yep. So we're only getting sort of the fight. But on the positive side, and let me make this case for you, there's some heat here. There, there, there is more spark in their relationship than there has been since the the Mephisto breakup. Yeah. Um, I think like there's page 19, this panel that is like full of uh, bugs eating people. There's just a great like moment where they say hey to each other. And like I, that's the comic that you want. But like a lot of relationships, not it's complicated. Me. Yeah, but they are giving it to you. You just have to look a little bit beyond the pain. And we end the issue with them. Like Mary Jane has she, she has a great line, which is like it's about responsibility. And of something course, something that should, Peter yeah. Parker. Yeah. So, like, I like the way that um, Zeb Wells is really coming at the continuity in a way that I haven't seen before. The fact that we did this through a deep X-Men continuity situation with Wolverine again hanging out for a not super uh, germane reason, it feels like, is awesome. Like, we're burying a great Mary Jane relationship, Mary Jane and Peter relationship moment in the Hellfire Gala. That's wild, and there's great action in this book. I think this run is really cool. I'm curious if we're going to get to the reveal sooner rather than later. We'll move on from that poignant <laughs> silence Did I make there. the case for you? The defense rest. Well, I, I, I just in love want him to get back together so fucking bad it hurts to see him fight. They were together before. Wait, what are you saying, Justin? I said that's what romance is. It takes a while. That's what heartache is. And you got to feel that heartache. It's feel been that years, Peter Parker, bro. Peter Parker's whole thing is feeling these emotions and not being able to deal with them because he has to go uh, fight crimes. You're doing the same thing, except you're not fighting crimes. You're reading a comic. So just at least you don't have to get I, to purchase I'll that. I'll take it because you compared me to Spider-Man. So uh, that's super cool. Superman, Son of Kal-El, number 15, from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Cian Torme. In this issue, we're bringing a ton of arcs, I would say, probably the first 15 issues, maybe not to a close, but certainly to a climax here, as Superman and his pals take an assault on Genovia? That's not it. That's the the movie from the the Princess Diaries. So probably (laughs) not. Wow. <laughs> but whatever it is, it's Harry Benning's continuity. You, you guys know. You've you've read this book. Anyway, uh, yep. it's a big fight going on there. There's a big emotional moments. I love, love Superman and his boyfriend. I think they're great. And the way that Tam Taylor has writing this is so romantic throughout this book. Yes. They are absolutely crushing it. Uh, and uh, honestly, I'm a little bummed. That Kal-El is coming back, to be fair. Well, and I'm curious how that will affect everything. The name of the place is Gamora, uh, which is very similar. 
Um, but I agree with you. The romance is so strong. And I do think, like, I trust this team so hard. So I think bringing Kal-El back will, I assume, bring us a little bit of a new direction. It feels like we've concluded a lot of, like, just Henry Bendix stuff in general here. Um, and introduce maybe a new power situation for mm-hmm. um, uh, for this Superman. So uh, lots to look forward to. At the same time, a lot of stuff coming together. This is this is really great comic books. I love what they're doing with Super Kal-El in this, or Son of Kal-El. Uh, I think it's just one of those things where it's very touching, a uh, uh, you know, side to him, and I I really appreciate the fact that they're leaning into this. Um, Robin's slap meme, kind of switching it instead of the Batman yes. slap, was such a great panel. So fun. Uh, I, yeah, I just, uh, that, that whole line of like, uh, Robin being like, I heard you've been constantly trying to hurt my best friend. Like just, I'm having a blast with this comic. I don't want it to end. I don't want them to uh, change this up. This is the most fun I've had in Superman in a really long time. And I'm really impressed with this kind of take on it. And I feel like, uh, you know, this is just, this is just great, great comics. Agreed about that, except for the Warworld book, which I'm also have been loving. Uh, oh yeah, huge, yeah, that, that yeah. But Philip uh, Kennedy Johnson. I don't want to take anything away from what he's doing. It's fucking really great. But this is a little different. Shout out to the Lex Luthor work in this book as well, which I thought mm-hmm. was awesome. Reestablishing yeah. him as a the sort so of great super such a great issue. And the last thing that I'll say about it is it really drove home to me that I. I kind of love these sub-in characters that happen just because it elevates the game of the writing and art team that they feel like they need to meet up to these iconic characters. And it's not necessarily about switching it up so much as legitimately having like, how is John Kent going to live up to the legacy of his father? Let's figure that out. Or same thing when Dick Grayson became Batman, how is he going to live up to Bruce Wayne now that Bruce Wayne is dead? Same thing with Bucky when Bucky became Captain America. All three of those runs were so good. And a lot of them is about having that conflict, having that striving, having that, how do I live up the memory of this person who I love with every inch of my being and I want to be worthy of with every inch of my being, but I don't know if I can. And then, they get there. And it's such yeah. a satisfying, wonderful arc to read. We'll have Cal L back. Like you said, Justin, Philip Kennedy Johnson is killing it. Hell yeah. Tom Taylor is killing it on Superman side of Cal L, so I don't expect that to change. But this is great. If you haven't picked this up, pick up the first 15 issues in trade or otherwise because it's phenomenal. Let's talk about a great. run that is ending here, though, for real. A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance, number 11, from Image Comics, written by Rick Remender, art by Andre Lima Arojo. We jump forward in time here, and this is a spoiler, but we get to see the little kid that our main character was taking care of kept safe getting his revenge on the man who kicked everything in motion here. There's really a lot of answers, a very or answer that happens in this issue that really justifies and explains a lot of the things that have happened throughout this series. But what did you guys think about this? Pete, I'm curious to hear from you. I know you're a big fan. You're a big fan, of course, of Rick Remender. How do you think this tied up? I was really impressed. Uh, I, it, I, immediately after reading it, I wanted to go back and read all of it again, um, just because it, uh, you know, with the way it comes out, kind of monthly, I was just a little bit like, oh man, you know, because I, I haven't seen this bad guy in a while. I, I was, I thought they made it super clear who the kid was, but I was kind of like, I wanted to kind of see the start of it again. Uh, but man. I, I'm really happy that I'm walking away from a Rick Remender book, not as heartbreaking. You know what I mean? Like he gives yeah. us a little bit of sunshine on a rainy day. Like he still fucked us over, and I'm trying not to spoil it for people so they can go and read it. But man, 
Uh, I, th- I feel like Remender's making some changes in his life. You know what I mean? He's given us a little bit more sunshine, so it's it's enjoyable. The art's bananas. This is just uh, this is a great great comic that should be collected and should be held up as one of Remender's I bet it will uh, be. Gr- great uh, great runs. Um, I, I do like there is sort of a, I mean a positive ending in that the some murder happens um, yeah. to someone who maybe deserved it, but um, I, the fact we spent a lot of time just riding along with the villain and just privy to all of his uh, power and excesses um, in a way that I feel like Remender was like, look, this is what happens with these people, and only in this case um, do you we get sort of vengeance. Um, dispensed to them. So it was a great art as always, um, great story. And I, I know it was sort of a more winning end to a series from Rick Remender, but it still left a sort of horrifying taste in my mouth for the reality <laughs> that Remender has shown us. Yeah. Castle full of blackbirds. Number one from dark horse comics written by Mike Mignola and Angela, Angela, Slater. Angela. Angela. <laughs> oh, you love her. Angela. Angela. <laughs> Samantha. Who's the boss? Art by Valeria Burzo. In this issue, we are exploring further the Mignola verse and focusing specifically on some witches, I guess is what we call them. Well, and, you know, we were about to talk in a, a second about the other Mignola book that came out, um, Young Hellboy. And both of these books are sort of like almost all ages Hellboy universe books mm-hmm. in an interesting way um, with uh, dealing with some maybe larger things. Um, but it's like and we t- talk about this a lot. I made a thing. Like, I wish there was more Hellboy. Now it's just like, OK, now there's a lot of Hellboy coming out. All the time. And this is not the flavor of Hellboy I expected. This is like a Lunchables Hellboy um, that you can just uh, take on your way to, to middle school, I guess, if you want to. Um, but it definitely feels like this Castle Full of Blackbirds feels like a full on all ages Hellboy world book. I agree. Yeah, we kind of get uh, get a, a different main character other than Hellboy, which is nice. But also, uh, the way they deal with magic is really cool. The artist is uh, killing on this book, like the like, whole kind of like her learning to use her powers kind of thing was really an impressive couple of pages to kind of watch that all happen. Uh, yeah, this is a nice kind of like, I love Hellboy, but maybe if it would be a little bit more kid-friendly or more accessible, uh, this definitely does all that, but still has that kind of like wildly creative kind of tripped out Hellboy stuff. So it's, it's impressive what we're doing here, and uh, it's all under the umbrella of Hellboy, so super cool. The Silver Coin, number 14 from Image Comics, written by Pornsack Pinochet, art by Michael Walsh. In this issue, we're dealing with what life was like in Hollywood during the pandemic. You remember those days, right? Back in those days. I, I was certainly reminded of them in this Oh, comic. man. I mean, Justin man. was the headline producer at the time in Hollywood, so he knows. This is taking place in multiple timelines, jumping back and forth to slowly fold out this story that only eventually loops back to the silver coin of the title. This is one of the books. I feel like we're now two issues in a row where I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, this, is, this is too much. I don't know about it's this one. Me out. Finally, yeah. finally, you're at where I'm at with it. Well, this one, especially like I was like, this is stressful because of the way they're talking about pandemic. I was like, that's how I talked about it. Oh, am I going to end up murdering some close uh, people in my life? And then secondarily, a lot of touching eyeballs with sharp objects, something oh. I don't enjoy. <laughs> Even um, in comic book form, it's still fucking creepy as fuck. This but don't let me say those are negative comments, because as a horror book, this is continues to nail every issue. I thought this issue was great, and it sort of uh, gave me little butterflies in my stomach in just when I wanted them. What the fuck? You got excited butterflies from this book. I mean, more like, whoa, that's unsettling. Okay. And to be clear, I if got butterflies a- like, I want to ask it to marry me. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you, we've all had different butterflies in our stomachs. 
I I uh, didn't have Pete, any the butterflies. butterflies you had in your stomach. You went to the Museum of Natural History and ate those butterflies, right? Uh, no, no, I had more Silence of the Lambs butterflies. Um, he ate a I caterpillar think, and it turned into a butterfly. This, uh, uh, <laughs> this book was too fucking scary. This issue was way too fucked up and way too scary. And the coin reveal came a, a little too late for me. And uh, <laughs> you I wanted just, an earlier coin reveal. I, I, needed, I needed to know how well, what was going on. It was just so scary and fucked up. Uh, horror is not my genre. So if you like horror, this is probably great for you, or yes. this is this is very it enjoyable. Is. It was too fucked up for me. So, uh, but the art. I, I want to give a shout out, and I don't know why this was the issue that this specifically struck me, but shout out to Michael Walsh on this book because most titles are author driven. They're like, well, the writer can write the script pretty quickly, so we're going to put that out every month. But Michael Walsh has put out the silver coin 14 months in a row, I think, with killer, very different stories. The art has been consistently awesome and terrifying every issue. This is just, just unlike on the base of being an amazing comic book project. It's super, super impressive, regardless of what you think about it on an issue by issue basis. Honestly, it's make, it's made me like coins less. <laughs> I keep the change. I can't trust these these old silver circles. Don't trust it. Let's talk about the other Mignola book, Young Hellboy number two from Dark Horse Comics, written by Mike Mignola and Thomas Nagowski, art by Craig Rousseau. This is a little bit more of a classic Hellboy book as we get Young Hellboy going on a mysterious adventure. What do you guys think about this one? This was uh, adorable, but also like a little kind of trip down scary because we kind of uh, switch perspectives on what's actually happening here uh, based off the young Hellboy's point of view. Uh, great art. I'm a little worried about Hellboy and what's going on, if he's going to be okay or if he needs to talk to somebody and uh, kind of uh, explain about his reality versus the real reality. But uh, cool and fun. I young do think Hellboy, Hellboy will he'll be all right because of older Hellboy. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but otherwise, I uh, I like the, this sort of masquerades as an all-ages book, but there's a dark underbelly to it um, happening the entire time. And uh, there's a reveal to be had here that I won't really mention too much about, about what is actually happening or who is leading young Hellboy down this path. Last but certainly not least, do a powerbomb number four. From Image Comics, written by Daniel, written and art by Daniel Warren Johnson. And in this issue, our main characters are getting further into their Mortal Kombat style wrestling elimination challenge on another world. They're finding out more about other competitors as well as the stakes here. It was great. Uh, first off, <laughs> you're pronouncing the title wrong. It's do a power bomb. There's an exclamation oh, point, and it's all squeezed together. You know, like you're yelling to somebody, like do a power bomb. So you mm-hmm. got to say and it. You're like shouting that. it in a crowd. Yeah, and um, it, you can't say enough about Daniel Warren Johnson's uh, art style, his heart that he brings to every one of his projects. It is not only beautiful but touching and moving how he can take something like wrestling and make it so much deeper and more relevant. It's really impressive. The, I mean, the stakes, everything that's going on, I there isn't enough words to describe how great uh, this is and how much fun. Uh, I, I, it's, I'm excited about wrestling. It's weird. I, I didn't know I would be in this place, but, man, this is just... Such great comic book storytelling and art and combination and such a great package. Holy F and shit. If you like comic books, check this out. You won't be disappointed. Um, holy F and S. Uh, I agree. <laughs> like this, um, this book is great. Quickly risen to the top of the stack. Like we, uh, we talk about just like we love some great superhero action. This has all that and more and it's just wrestling. Um, it is so visceral watching these wrestlers like land these uh, special moves that they're doing. It's body horror in a way, uh, but it's 
it's awesome. It's great, uh, top to bottom. Definitely highest recommendation. If you'd like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the Boone Orchard. Oh, boy. (laughs) Pissing in the Boone Orchard. Don't go.